You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for January 17th, 2021, the second Sunday after the Epiphany. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Dr. Justin Crisp. It's based on John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. When I first moved to Connecticut, I was a little bit shocked by how, shall we, forthright and um, candid everybody was particularly by how easy it seemed for so many Northeasterners to say the word no, (laughs) a word that I almost didn't have in my vocabulary at all. Growing up in the Southeast, I was taught a slightly different way to approach disagreements and conflict. Smooth things over in person and then voice your disagreement conveniently behind the person's backs to a third party, okay? Say what you want to about the brusqueness and rudeness of New Yorkers or New Englanders. At least you know where you stand most of the time. And Philip, Nathaniel, and Jesus from this morning's gospel, I think, would fit right in here in New Canaan, Connecticut. If not with the freezing temperatures, then with their forthrightness and their candor. Philip has encountered Jesus and decided to follow him. Philip then goes to a friend of his named Nathaniel and says that this Jesus guy from Nazareth is the Messiah. To which Nathaniel famously replies, can anything good come from Nazareth? Which is something like a much more than much more elitist version of a Yale saying of someone who went to school up in Cambridge can anything good come out of Harvard? Philip, Philip doesn't lose any time. He doesn't really say very much at all. Philip just tells his friend, come and see. And to Nathaniel's credit, he does. Nathaniel meets Jesus. Jesus mysteriously already knows about him. Jesus doesn't tell many jokes in the Gospels. Uh, I would like to think that Jesus had a good sense of humor, but the authors of the Gospels didn't write down any asides. This is as close as we get, actually. Jesus, uh, a little bit of Jesus' sark or sarcasm, when uh, Jesus says, Here is an Israelite, in there is no deceit. Something like, here's somebody who really tells it like it is. Nathaniel, a little freaked out by Jesus' foreknowledge of his putting down town, is nearly instantly convinced of the truth of Jesus is, proclaiming, Rabbi, you are the Son of God and the King of Israel. And just like that, Nathaniel has and Nathaniel is now a disciple. I love this story because it's the story, I think, of a real friendship. See, Philip and Nathaniel are close enough friends. They love one another sincerely enough to speak plainly to one another, to be open and honest with each other, even to make mistakes in the other's company. And when Nathaniel gets a little sideways, 
Philip says, come and see, and brings him to Jesus. What's even more beautiful is that Jesus and Nathanael seem to be on their way to love and friendship of that exact same sort, which Nathanael already has with Philip. As the events of January 6th got filtered this past week through the sick machinery of our partisanship, I, and I suspect you did as well, observed a lot of talk about reconciling and healing and unifying and how we ought to do it. I'm concerned that much of this talk about unity and reconciliation, even about love, depends on a misunderstanding of what reconciliation really is. I believe that love, real love, real reconciliation, issues from a commitment both to remain in relationship and to listen and speak deeply to one another out of incredible honesty in a shared pursuit of all that is good, beautiful, and true. That's a real friendship. That's real love. That's real reconciliation. Reconciliation that looks like Philip and Nathaniel going to meet Jesus. Real love, real reconciliation in our moment, I think, means coming to grips with the fact that many treatments of last year's protests against police brutality ended up normalizing or even justifying political violence by failing adequately to condemn the destruction of businesses and livelihoods and the vandalization of federal property. Conditions which engulfed the city of Portland, for instance, last summer, in a mutually reinforcing cycle of violence between protesters and federal law enforcement, and issued in acts of vigilante justice among civilians, like the throwing of explosive devices at Black Lives Matter protesters, and the killing of Aaron Danielson, a member of the far-right group known as Patriot Prayer, by Michael Reinol, an Antifa activist, who was himself then subsequently killed in an arrest attempt by U.S. Marshals. Real love, real reconciliation, means saying no. Come and see. Real love, real reconciliation, I think, means coming to grips with the fact that on January 6th, a mob insurrection really did take place in our nation's capital with the intent to disrupt the democratic processes responsible for the transition of power in the executive branch under the U.S. Constitution, to, up to upend the will of the people manifested in a free and fair election. An assault on the Capitol which was fomented not at a distance, but in person by our president, Donald Trump, and underwritten by Christian rhetoric and leadership. And real love, real reconciliation, means saying no. Come and see. 
Real love, real reconciliation, I think, also means coming to grips with the fact that these two sets of events are not direct moral or political equivalents. They are analogous to one another, but they are not actually on a par with one another exactly. I believe political violence of any kind, which issues from any political persuasion in redress of any sort of political grievance, is an unacceptable form of democratic expression, and moreover, incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the assault two Wednesdays ago was incited in person by a sitting president, and it sought, at the least, to disrupt a session of Congress as it convened formally to ratify a democratic election and thereby to circumvent the will of the people. Now, did the president explicitly order protesters to storm the Capitol building? I've read the speech this past week. I recommend that you do too. And he did not. But President Trump's aggrieved rehearsal of allegations of an election victory stolen by radical left Democrats and enabled by weak Republicans, with no acknowledgement that his campaign has lost or withdrawn from all 38 court cases in which they have attempted to prove these allegations, with just another four cases still pending at the beginning of this calendar year. That, combined with his inflammatory rhetoric, of we're going to have to fight much harder. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. These, combined with his call to march to the Capitol, fomented in, and incited, struck the match and lit the fire, which led to the, an unbelievable scene where the battle flag of the Confederate States of America flew within the walls of the United States Capitol. And rioters chanted, hang Mike Pence, and built a gallows on Capitol Hill. Real love, real reconciliation, means saying no. Come and see. Real love and real reconciliation also means coming to grips with the fact that mass calls among liberals and progressives to defriend and cut out of one's life any and everyone who has ever voted for President Trump, voiced support for one of his policies, or even supported down-ballot Republican candidates or initiatives. Real love means coming to grips with the fact that this kind of behavior towards those with whom one disagrees or even those whose opinions one may consider to be actively harmful, this kind of behavior is incompatible with the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus who commanded us not just to love our neighbor without qualification, but to love even our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. The one exception here to my mind being when the behavior or the rhetoric of someone whom you've considered your friend is abusive of you, is personally or physically threatening to you, 
as can sometimes be the case for people of color in this moment, for instance. In which case, I believe you can continue to love and to pray for your enemies, but at a distance that makes you feel safe. Jesus' injunction to turn the other cheek doesn't mean that you have to go seek out a boxing match. For everyone else, on whatever side, it's time to lean in and to lean in towards one another. We must not simply persist in relationship across the divides which now riddle our nation, but we must do so for the sake of saying things which are difficult but nonetheless true. We must be as Philip was to Nathaniel and invite one another to come and see the truth. And we must be like Nathaniel in accepting the invitation. And once met by the truth, we must acknowledge and hail him as such. I'll be honest with you. I don't know the solution to all that afflicts our nation, our society, or our culture this hour. That should go without saying, but there are a number of people who seem to think that they do, and I just want for you to know I don't. I don't know whether impeachment will, will prove the wisest course of action or whether censure would have been wiser instead, or whether the government should just litigate this in the courts after President Trump's term has ended. I don't know what the courts should do as they prosecute insurrectionists or what the federal investigations of the events of January 6th will unearth, or whether the president-elect should one day pardon the president. I don't know. But what I do know is that it is our job as Americans to clean this mess up, not just our legislators, but us, ours to clean up as Republicans and Democrats and independents, and that all of us, whatever our party or ideology, must participate in the work and make difficult decisions in the days ahead regarding how we distinguish behaviors we consider laudable, tolerable, and intolerable in our parties, and in our democracy, and then take action to repair our social fabric accordingly. What I know as a priest, as a student of forgiveness and reconciliation, is that the path toward healing wrongdoing in our nation cannot be that much more different than the path toward healing wrongdoing in our individual lives. And what I know from experience is that the path toward healing wrongdoing in our lives goes through the truth, not around it. What I know is that neither Philip nor Jesus lets Nathaniel off the hook, and that Nathaniel comes honestly to recognize how wrong that he was, that even acts of outright forgiveness admit and acknowledge wrongs that have been done and say no to them even as the forgiver perseveres in love with the wrongdoer by foregoing the claims of justice and asking for repentance and repair instead. What I know is that the path toward healing goes through the cross to which are nailed the sins of history, our sins, our misdeeds, 
our judgments in the wrong and just and laudable convictions, and that it is only after having judged them wrong and us culpable that Christ suffers their consequences. Our estrangement and our loss, and thereby restores us forgiven and free. As people of the cross, as those who would be his disciples in pursuit of love and reconciliation, we know what our witness in this moment has to be. No. Come and see. Amen. more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.